Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. CW, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hello, Jim. Uh, how you doing? Wonderful. Uh, I was calling concerning a house built in 1972. The drain line is uh, cast down and uh, had a stop-up, cleared out the stop-up, but the guy took a camera down and saw a hairline crack down the pipe of the cast-iron pipe. Right. And he mentioned something about changing out the cast-iron piping to put in PVC piping. Yep. Which which is a... uh, Sound like it was going to be a big cost. With this being a train line, I was concerned. Is that necessary to change out of just for a hairline crack running down it? Well, here's the issues that you'll run into. It's not so much that the pipe itself becomes a problem for you. It's what the broken pipe does to your foundation that becomes a major problem. Uh, you know, I own a foundation company, a plumbing company, and an air conditioning company. And, you know, what causes foundation problems is the moisture change in the soils. When the soils dry out, they shrink. When they get wet, they expand. Not as much as they were before, but when you have leaks, you know, like that crack in your pipe and stuff, in those cast irons pipes, what happens is you start getting areas that stay wet and swollen other areas of the house are drying out, and before you know it, you got this huge hump in the floor. And so, yeah, it, it, it does become necessary to, to get them fixed. Now, am I going to tell you, hey, you need to have that fixed today? No. But uh, it's not something you want to put off for years and years because, one, the pipe is going to get clogged up. Two, it is going to cause you a, a really expensive foundation problem. Uh, but the third item... If you ever go to sell a house, more and more houses are being checked for uh, sewer pipe leaks, and it'll make it where you can't sell it as well. Okay. All right, that explained the problem. Explain the oh, appreciate you answering, letting me know all that. I understand now why he was referring to replacing. Yeah. Uh, well, it really is my sister's house, but. Uh, I'll, I'll let them know everything that you told me about it. Not a problem. CW, you have a wonderful weekend. You too. Mm, bye-bye. And, and I will tell you guys up front, a lot of times uh, plumbers will tell you, oh, you got to have this fixed immediately. You don't. You do want to get it fixed. And, and I will tell you, you know, I mentioned I have a foundation company, and I did a spot for my foundation company a minute ago. A lot of foundation companies have now started putting in their contracts after they level they're going to do a static test to see if there's a leak if there's a leak it's got to be fixed within some say 15 days some say 30 days or the warranty on the foundation repair work is voided now i don't have that at due west but we do do a static test we do check for the leaks we check before and after leveling uh, just to verify everything because in some cases and this is rare but in some cases Homeowners have purchased an option for accidental discharge. 
and that means the insurance would cover replacement of those pipes. Well, they don't cover the replacement. What they cover is damage caused by and access to, and then you pay for the pipe itself. But what the insurance ends up paying for is, you know, if that foundation did move, um, digging the tunnels and stuff like that to get to the pipes. Uh, so, you know, if if you are renewing your insurance and you haven't given that any thought, ask your agent about the accidental discharge for pipes, especially if you have cast iron. Now, PVC can get leaks as well, but cast iron is extremely bad because they have lived their life. Uh, and this this is a normal everyday thing that's occurring right now is having to replace those just a reminder it's a huge help if you subscribe to rate and review the podcast it helps people find us brian this is jim how can i help you good afternoon jim got a question on water heaters okay i have uh, two 50 gallon water heaters in my attic with a recirculation pump i have heard over the years that a water heater well, a tanked water heater will last 10 years. Anything beyond that, you're really flirting with trouble. Uh, what would be your opinion? I have people who have them last for 20 years all the time. Okay. You know, as long so as you've not... as long as you've got a pan. Did you say these are in your attic or in the garage? Yes. Yep. In, okay. As long as you've got an adequate pan underneath, so that when they do start leaking, to kept capture the water and let it run outside i would not worry about replacing them until you need to okay does the recirculation pump have any bearing on it on that no No, not at all no okay all right well that was my question thank you Uh, sir hey i appreciate it you take care brian all right uh, let's try mike in hillsborough again mike you there i am how can i help you I've got a 100-year-old house that's been added on to about three times, and the pier and beam uh, is the dirt under the house is five inches or six inches lower than the outside around the skirting of the house. Yep. How can I do I put French drains down, or what's your suggestion? Well, do you have water that's uh, coming around and getting underneath the house now? Yes. Okay. So you end up with a couple of choices. One is to put berms that redirect if it's flowing water so that it doesn't go underneath. Uh, Obviously, you want to get any downspouts and and stuff uh, away from the foundation so it's not dumping water right next to the foundation. This is one of the rare occasions where I would tell you you probably should have gutters on everything because if the sheets of water come off the roof they're likely to go underneath. And and the reason it's lower under the house than around it, over the years, just from mowing grass and different things like that, the, the, the soil literally raises up and ends up causing this type of problem. Uh, in some cases, yes, you end up putting a French drain all the way around in order to solve the problem, but um, usually it can just be handled with redirection of the water or a uh, surface drain system under the home uh, and regrading under the home to to where everything goes into a catch basin and take the water out that way. Uh, So it's just going to depend on on how it's set up. Ruben in Missouri City, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Good afternoon. Yes, sir. I'm having a 
my house plumbed and was packed by a plumber. Uh-huh. Of course, in his bed, he wants to change out the water heater. It's only about eight years old. It's a gas water heater. And I mentioned, and I thought about putting a hot water filter after the, you know, coming out of the hot water filter to filter out any crap that might be inside the tank itself. And then from there to the rest of the plumbing. Uh, I think that's the, I don't know, what do you think about that instead of just changing out the water heater? Why does he want to change it out? Just because it's eight years old? No, because he wants more money. Yeah, <laughs> Leave, I'm with you. Leave the water heater in, and you know, down the road that can be changed out later. But there's not a reason to change it out right now unless it's right. acting up. And if no, it's if, not acting. Yeah, go ahead. If, and if you do want to put a, a, a filter on it, you know, like you were talking about, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, I. You know, you will get a certain amount of debris that does come out of the water heater, and so that would filter mm -hmm. it out. But honestly, I'd probably be more inclined, if you're wanting to put a filter system in, to put a whole house filter in rather than just one for the after the water heater. Right. Well, and actually, that is the plan: put a whole house water filter, but then one right after one uh, water filter that's specified for hot water. Uh -huh. After the water heater, most of that crud starts to clear out. Yeah, uh, and and you're not going to get a whole lot of stuff out of it, but you'll get some. So yeah, the, I I'm with you. I would not be changing out the water heater. Okay, well, thank you. Appreciate you your bet. answer. Take care. Okay, bye bye. Now I will tell you, a lot of times plumbers don't want to touch water heaters that are over five years old because you know then they start having people say, well. You know, you worked on my water heater six months ago, and now it's not working. It's your fault. Water heaters do break down. Don't get me wrong. But if it's still working, there's not a reason to mess with it. And it really does come down to that. So uh, I wouldn't bother changing one out like that. I will have a contractor paint the exterior of my home soon. Could you recommend what type of paint and temperature to start painting the house? I've heard some type of marine paint for the mold, and another one would be used of an acrylic paint. I live in the Houston area, so I do get mold on the north side of the home. Thanks for the help. Well, uh, you know, I typically, I'm looking at the, the higher-end paints. I use Sherwin-Williams. I use Kelly Moore, Valspar. All of them are good paints. But you, on all of them, want to buy their top-end stuff. Uh, all the paint companies have cheap paint, builder's grade, and then the high-end. The high-end is going to hold up better and typically last longer because it has less clay mixed into the paint. But the other thing, as far as your mold and mildews and stuff, uh, they do make a uh, mold inhibitor that can be added to the paints. Uh, and so... That's what I would uh, typically recommend in that situation. And, uh, you know, the, the higher-end paints don't tend to start getting dull and and uh, when you rub your hand on it after, say, 10 years, you don't get the dust coming off of it. They just last longer. And as an example, my house hasn't had paint put on it in 15 years. Uh, I use a good high-end paint and don't have to worry about it so uh that's that's what i would recommend sherwin williams uh kelly moore valspar all three of those are are great paints that uh 
should be able to take care of it. As far as temperatures, all of the paints will have a temperature recommendation. So you want to go by that, not not just a random one. Uh, you know, and what they'll have is don't paint below this temperature or above that temperature. And uh, so, yeah, just look at the cans and uh, go by that recommendation. John and Temple, how can I help you? Hi, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. I have a uh, the question I have is concerning is really not just me. It's my uh, friend and my neighbor across the street. We both have houses that are about 50 and 55 years old. And underneath our slab is we have cast iron piping. Okay. And we're really concerned about possibly in the future or maybe, you know, the leaking and everything because we're in our 40s and everything, and we plan on staying at the house for the next 20, 30 years or longer. And we're just wondering, if, is that a concern to have cast iron piping underneath the house with a house that's 50, 55 years old? Uh, without question, I can tell you it will be leaking if it's not already. Uh, that's too bad. Yeah. What should we do? I mean, how, they, how do you go about fixing the problem? Because uh, my neighbor was telling me there's a way that he saw on, on YouTube that there's a coating that you can put in between the, you know, in the pipe. And, and I don't know if that's feasible. I don't know if that's, I mean, well, what would you suggest we should do? Well, th- there's a couple ways of looking at it. I mean, first of all, I wouldn't do anything until I've, I've got a leak. So you can get a static test done to see if you've got a leak. And if you do, then it's time to start looking at uh replacement of the system so the two ways right now of replacing the systems is one to uh, dig underneath the house and literally replace the system uh, by tunneling underneath to all the fixtures and and pulling out the cast iron and putting in pvc or if the fixtures are on the outside walls you can reroute and again that's still just replacing the pvc but the other thing that, and I think this is what you're alluding to, is they have where they can slip line them, basically. And it's where they clean the pipes out first. They take a, uh, it's almost like a felt-type sock that basically gets a resin on it and goes through the pipe and it puts a coating on the inside of the pipe. And and the, the felt-like... Uh, material adheres itself to the cast iron basically putting a pipe inside a pipe Um, the areas of concern with that are when you come to a t or a y anything like that uh, because they have to line up the holes perfectly in order for the materials to fuse together and and not have issues with it Um, that's not as good as replacing the pipe uh, but it is a, another alternative. In most cases, what I have found is, depending on the contractor you use, you can replace the pipes for almost the same as relining them. And okay. then you're done. you got regular PVC pipes under the home. So we're talking probably about twenty or $30,000, aren't we? I mean, we got both got, all three of us have about 1,600-square-foot 1, house. So we're talking probably. I'm guessing. I'm just guessing probably about ten to twenty to thirty thousand uh, dollars. You know, it, it really depends on the layout of the home. Okay. Uh, I have done, you know, because this is something I do. My company does every day, and on a lot of these, I mean, uh, we're down in the ten thousand range, 
Uh, can it get up to the 20 or 30 on a 1600 square foot? No, nah, I don't think you're going to hit 30. I mean, could it hit 20? Probably depending on the layout. But in, in a lot of cases, enough of the fixtures are on outside walls that that really shortens the amount of tunneling that needs to be done. So it, it, it's uh, not as bad as a lot of times people think. Okay. Okay. What do you call that? Will you do a pressure test? What is that called? A, a, a static test. A static test? Okay. Yeah. I'll talk to my plumber down here in Temple and um, see if he does that and um, get that done. And, and um, I'll tell my neighbor and my friend about it because we're really concerned about that, you know, because uh, there's nothing worse than you don't know what goes underneath the slab. And um, there's nothing worse than having a leak where you don't want to see it. And so. Yeah, and, and, you know, the big problem is it changes the moisture content, and that, that causes foundation problems for you. But uh, sure. most plumbers, if you tell them you want to get a static test on your sewer system, they're going to know what you're talking about. Now, here's here's the, the downside. A lot of them are going to say, well, let me just run the camera. A camera doesn't pick up on the little leaks. The static test typically does. Neither one of them are foolproof. And so I typically do both. If I, if the static test shows a leak, then we run it that way. But given the age of your cast iron, uh, guaranteed you're if, – if it's not leaking now, it will be before long. Yeah, and that's what I'm worried about. And that's what, you know, my neighbor and my friend is real worried about that too. And, uh, yeah. Anyway, thank you, Jim. I appreciate you bet. it. And, I, I, and just I, FYI, if your plumbers don't do it, call my company because we do go to Temple and do stuff like that. Oh, y'all do? Y'all do? Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, what's, what, what's your company? I, I know you, you broadcast. I'm just... Do West. You have do West. And, do West. Okay. You, yep. And uh, just feel free to give us a call and be more than happy to help you out. Okay. Thank you, Jim. And I value your opinion. I listen to your show. Try to listen to it every Saturday and uh, very educational. And thank you for what you do. Thank you, sir. You have a great day. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Julie, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hi, Jim. Thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. I have a, uh, a cabinet door that has loosened. Uh, you know, the screws uh, hole has loosened to the point it won't hold the screw anymore. Uh-huh. I watched a few videos online about how to address that, but I was interested uh, in your recommendation to, to uh, fix that. I typically would take uh, toothpicks. And pound them into the uh, screw hole, mm-hmm. and then reinstall my screw. Okay, same screw, so I don't change change the screw. Then just keep the same screws and just yep. fill it yeah, up. Yeah, because yeah, just take the screw out, and if if you'll uh, and typically what I'll do is I'll take like the round toothpicks, I'll break it in half, and stick the uh, broken part in first, and mm-hmm. snap it off. And then you can take the pointed part and use it to wedge in there and take the point off the next one and wedge it in there until I've packed the hole full again. And when you put the screw in, it's it's nice and tight, just like new. Okay, great. Any any reason to – I saw some videos where they show to uh, glue them in. Any reason to do that or just pack them in tight? There's If you pack them in tight, there's no reason to have to glue it. Okay, fabulous. Well, I will get on that this afternoon. Thanks so much for your advice. Julie, you take care. You too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And that's a uh, real common issue, and whether it's on the uh, cabinet doors or even on a, the the hinges of a regular door, uh, it works extremely well to do it that way. Lee, you doing all right today? Well, that's funny. We go from mobile home to mobile foundation. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I've I got a house in Sharpstown built in 61, you know, and it's got the typical Houston foundation. And, yep. um 
Houston settling, cracks here and there that grow and shrink with all the floods and drought and everything we got. But um, it had been growing a little, and I thought I'd get, you know, a couple guys out to look at it. And I got two companies that, uh, you know, have been around Houston a long time to both give quotes. Both of them came to completely different conclusions, and I'm not sure what to do. Um, well, let me ask of, you a quick question first. Uh, was my company one of them? Uh, your company was not one of them just because of scheduling. I tried to okay. get something scheduled. didn't get out the day I had off. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, but uh, your answer might just be get a third company out there to uh, to break the tie. But um, I thought that they both used a little yellow box with the liquid in it and whatever. Right. And both came up with completely different measurements. Uh, one of them, all the variance was within half an inch, uh-huh. and the high spots were the four corners. And he was saying uh, he doesn't really recommend foundation work. He recommends drainage work. He thinks that I just have some drainage problems in the cor- corners because that's where my gutter downspouts are. The other one, uh, he found variances uh, up to an inch and a quarter, uh, and they were kind of all over the place, but mostly in the front of the house. And he recommended a, a, a good number of peers, actually, um, which had me a little concerned. Yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, I mean, is the, is the drainage thing valid? And should I get, you know, a lot of drainage work done first and then have it reassessed? Should I wait for things to dry out? Because that's the other thing that, that the, the first guy was saying that, you know, right now we're in a really wet season after a really dry season, and the voids were filling with water, and I was turning my house into a soup bowl because it's low in the middle. I just don't know what to do. <laughs> well, first, the numbers you're talking about is not something I'd get overly uh, anxious to, to make a rapid decision on uh, because you, you're not talking out that much. But let me ask you, you said the first one said that the corners were all high. Yeah, that... the, the house is not completely square, but, you know, right. kind of square. And, yeah, the high spots were pretty much the corners. Normally, when the corners are high, that's an indication the house has piers on it already. There was some foundation work done in the past, but we okay. bought the house from the original owner's kids because the original owners were no longer able to live there. Okay. Well, so nobody it, it... knows what it was. Uh, well, I can tell you, just based on the fact that the corners are high, is typically an indication that it's got piers on it because corners are lighter than the middle part of the walls, and the center of the house is even heavier than the outside walls. Uh, so if stuff starts moving a little bit when there is piers, you've already, uh, you know, the corners are not are, are lighter, so the piers not having to hold as much. So... That's also kind of telling me that I'm betting it has aftermarket piers. And how long have you had the house? About eight years. In the situation, in the situation that you're in, I would not recommend replacing the piers. I would take a look at reshimming what's already there, because they, if they've held that long, typically the second time they hold even longer. Uh, and the little bit that you're out doesn't justify doing massive amounts of foundation repair at this time, especially when you've already got some piers there. Now, as far as the drainage, uh, you know, if you've got standing water 
uh, or or uh, uh, issues, you know, where water's running under the house, then you need to start doing some drainage. But the drainage with the piers that you have around, the drainage work's not going to do anything uh, to that. So I'm thinking that the guy who's telling you drainage is probably not correct on it. Well, the the reason one of the the drainage is basically my backyard drains down the driveway. One corner has a pier right in it, and essentially the water is running right down where the pier was. And he said, if they left a void when they put that pier in, that'll lift up this corner of the house. Does yeah, but if it if it's just one corner, I I would buy that. But if there's multiple corners, then that's a no. Okay, so you're thinking shim the center on the existing piers. Well, not really I would I would have to I I would have to see the readings on the house first. And that was the reason I was asked if we were out because I would have been able to look at it even <laughs> sitting here on the show with you. But uh, you know, without seeing the the readings to see what's high, what's low, uh, and then uh, and then I start looking to see okay, where's the trees, which way's the water going, all that goes into making the decision what needs to be done. So I really need to take another day and get y'all out there for a third opinion, huh? Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. See, there, there, you know, there, there's there's three ways of doing things. There's the right way, the wrong way, and then there's my way. <laughs> yeah, and there's two kinds of Houston foundations, the ones with known problems, the ones you don't know yet. Yep. Well, in the industry, we say you got two types of houses, one that's been repaired and one that will be. Mark, welcome to KTRH. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. I had a question. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, recently had some uh, vinyl plank, luxury vinyl plank installed in our home after remediation. Um, and I guess the first subcontractor that works for this restoration company, uh, they, they installed it in, and I guess the float that they use, they, maybe it was a cheaper grade of float or whatever. Uh, but there started we started noticing pockets like on this vinyl plank. To me, a level floor, I'm not a flooring guy, but a level floor should be flat. You walk on it. Well, we started noticing uh, these pockets, like um, almost like hollow spots. Well, we called the contractor. They came and looked at it. They took a couple pieces out. Uh, they actually um, laid about 3,000 square foot of it in our house, and uh, they ended up firing that company because they used a cheaper float or used the wrong float or something happened, but they ended up having to pull every piece up of that vinyl plank up in our house and refloated and then reinstalled with the same uh, plank. And now we're having issues where we're noticing that um, it's almost like the floor is, is warped. Like some of the seams in certain areas in the house, there's at least maybe five or six different locations throughout our house. Mm -hmm. It looks like the floor is almost warped at the seams. And then some of them like, Either the tabs are broke off, or I don't know if it was because the, you know, they were installed and taken out and reinstalled. Have you ever seen anything like that? The floor is about six months old. It's got the cork board. It's the new core, of vinyl plank. Have you have you heard or seen anything like that? Well, I have, uh, and what it sounds like is they might have put it in too tight. Uh, okay. Are you where, where you're saying it? It's curling up. You. It's right there, the seams, in the long direction, correct? Yes. And it's yes. kind of almost like it's tenting up a little bit? Yes. Like you can actually, I can put a three-foot level across several planks, and you can see like the ridges 
Yep. Like it's literally blowing up multiple spots. I'm like, this is not. Yeah. Something's not right here. You know. Those floors require a gap all the way around, and if they don't have the gap there, as the floor expands and contracts, and typically okay. in the situation like we're talking about here would be when the floor expands, it doesn't have the room to expand out, and so it compresses the joints and literally starts popping them up like that. Okay. And that's not okay. going to be a, a flooring issue. That's going to be the the installation issue. That that new core is a great floor. Uh, in fact, I was okay. looking at at it last night for putting in my own house. Yeah, it's got that cork floor. We thought it was a, you know, we have a little one, so we had engineered wood floors, but we had a, a leak in our kitchen and it ruined the floors in the living yep. room and all that. So they, we went back with with that new core, thinking, hey, this is durable. Uh, this will last us. If you drop something, it won't chip or break or whatever. And mm-hmm. man, yep. we've just had we've had to call the contractor. Literally, it's been in six months, and we've had to call them out three or four times. They've come out, replaced pieces, the pieces they fixed right next to those pieces. Then those start. Uh, it's just it's been a nightmare. And like I said, the floor is not even six months old. Six yeah. or seven months, it's max. Yep. And it, so yeah, now it, it I, definitely I, sounds like an installation error. Okay. All righty. All righty. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, we're, we're going back and forth. The contractor's been, um, you know, coming out and the owner came out. And, and so we're, we're trying to find a resolution to this because it's like, you know, it's just frustrating. So I appreciate the, the info. You bet. You take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. You know, and, and it's like anything, it's got to be put in properly. Uh, you can have the best product in the world, and if it's not properly installed, it's not going to hold up. Uh, and that, that's really what it comes down to. This email came in from uh, Madeline in Mansfield. And she says, Hi, Jim. I had someone look at my foundation, and it appears to be 0.4 off in several spots. Is there a rule as to how much off it should be for a recommendation of Pierce? Thanks so much. Madeline. Well, the engineers have been pondering this for as long as I can remember. Uh, And no, there is not a set number that it needs to be off because they're not poured tabletop level to begin with. And so it's a combination of how much movement has there been along with the cosmetic damage. In other words, you take readings and say it's 0.4 off, but there's no cosmetic damage. There's been no sheetrock cracks, no doors out of alignment, no brick cracks, none of that kind of stuff. You leave it alone. On the same token, you look at a house and doors are sticking. There's sheetrock cracks. There is brick veneer cracks. Uh, You can underpin it and tip it up and make the doors work, close up the crack, get rid of all that kind of stuff. But it's still only 0.4 off. Yes, you peer it. So it's not just an empirical number game. It is, you've got to look at the cosmetic damage that goes with it as well. Uh, I have seen new foundations that were poured as much as an inch and a half out of level. Uh, 0.4 is less than half an inch. So it's an art more than it is just a scientific fact that, hey, once it hits this particular number, you got to underpin it. Now, I will tell you, most people 
realize they have a foundation problem when the slab has moved a, about an inch and a half. And the reason I say that, that's normally when you start getting all the cosmetic damage, you know, the, the sheetrock cracks, the door alignments, and uh, brick veneer, and sloping floors that you can actually feel it's sloping and such. So that kind of gives you the rule of thumb. If you're not having the cosmetic damage, you don't have a reason to repair the foundation. At that point, it's time to do preventative maintenance. We're going to head up to uh, Tom Ball. And Bob, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Um, my pleasure. I got a, got a two-story house. The master bedroom is directly above the garage, and I don't think there's any insulation at all between them. There's uh, not. You know, the, I can feel the, the cold floor in the wintertime, and it's the hottest room in the house in the summer. Um, I'm looking for some kind of insulation uh, solution, um, but I don't want to go with uh, I just not injected foam, that kind of thing. I'm just looking for something to maybe apply to the garage ceiling. You got any ideas? Yeah. Uh, take a look at Energy Q Radiant Barrier. Okay. And that Energy can be... Q? Yeah, Energy Q. It's a multi-layer system. It's got a thermal break in the middle, and that could be applied to the ceiling. I mean, you can just staple it up there. Um, and this is one of the rare occasions you're going to hear me say use this. You can use the foam uh, panels that have a radiant barrier on one side right. and, just, and just nail those up on the, the ceiling of the garage. And... You know, the, the thicker the foam, the, the higher R value you would have. And the radiant barrier uh, is, is just a plus. Uh, it'll help with the lighting in the garage and stuff. But, uh, you know, inch for inch, foam has the highest R value there is. Uh, the radiant barrier, the energy Q radiant barrier, that blocks the heat transfer in both directions. And so it would help tremendously. But the foam board insulation... Uh, can actually interlock up there and give you some true R value that would uh, not. And then with the radiant barrier on the bottom side, you know, facing down, that gives it the dead air space so that it can work properly. And so you'd have the best of both worlds in that situation. Okay, so are those two separate solutions, uh, foam and the energy cube? Correct. Yeah, because you can get the so foam that has... It. You can get the foam that has a single layer of radiant barrier on it. Right. And that would work just fine in the situation you have because nothing's going to be touching it on the ceiling. Where the energy cue can be sandwiched in behind materials and stuff like that, but it, it really works well for stopping that heat transfer. Uh, I'm not, I, I really think it, in the situation you're having, I would put the, the foam and probably go with a minimum of two inches thick. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.